Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray as we come now to study God's Word. Father, as we come now to Your Word, we pray, Father, that You would help us by Your Spirit to understand. We pray, Father, that You would give us the blessing that is on offer here, true happiness. We pray this for Jesus' glory. Amen. Well, I suppose every single one of us here this morning wants to be happy. Yeah? (laughs) And uh, that's true of everyone on the face of the planet. Many of us try to be happy in religious ways. We seek blessing. All around the world, different religions. Right now, we uh, found out this week in our staff meeting, uh, uh, Bruce, our missions pastor, told us this. Right now, 100 million Hindus are gathering in Allahabad to seek the blessing of washing away their sins in the Ganges. 100 million. What is it that makes us right here this morning about uh, the source of true blessing? In our age of relativistic pluralism, when we are aware of all these different paths, what is it that makes this blessing the one true blessing? Well, some of that goes back to understanding the things we looked at last week. Blessing uh, for Jesus is not simply a pick-me-up, a Valium pill. It's not necessarily feeling um, good. It's uh, being good. It's a state of being. So Jesus' blessing is a declaration of what is truly happy. may not always feel happy. I suppose those who are persecuted don't feel happy. (laughs) Jesus is saying it is blessed. That's partly why. It's partly understanding the shape of the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that last week too, didn't we? This Sermon on the Mount is not unique because of its ethic. 
It's not the teaching of the sermon, it is the person of the sermon. So the sermon begins with Jesus uh, saying that he's, uh, uh, the account says that he's gathered uh, these people to teach them. So there is teaching here, of course. But at the end of the sermon, what amazes them is not the teaching, but the one who did the teaching. No one teaches like this person, not the scribes or the Pharisees, for he teaches as one who has authority. He is the author teaching the Scriptures. So what is it that uh, makes us right? It is Jesus. Jesus. And actually, the Beatitudes are shaped with a similar focus. So if you look down with me at these amazing words that we could spend many, many weeks studying, and I've sometimes done sermon series just looking at one of them each week. Um, But if you look at them as a whole, and you compare verse 3 with verse 10, you'll notice there is what uh, scholars call chiasm. Uh, That is, it is uh, what we would say X-shaped. That is, it begins with the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 10, it ends with the kingdom of heaven. It's called a chiasm because what you want to notice is not just the bracket, but the point in the middle. And in the middle you'll see, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now we'll look at that beatitude a little more closely. But the point of these blessings is that they are actually the pure in heart, as Jesus originally was teaching, observing God. (laughs) The Sermon on the Mount is one great big call to realize that the blessing of God is Jesus. They're hearing him, they're seeing him. And that's what we uh, looked at last week, all these first four steps, emptying of ourselves in order to be filled with Jesus. So we come for blessing, we need to put aside all our preconditions all our presumptions, all our prejudices in order to be filled with Jesus. Well, now we're in the kingdom, as it were, in the Beatitudes, the second half of the Beatitudes, and there is a complementary blessing that comes for those who've come into the kingdom. Each of the succeeding four Beatitudes mirror the first four, and it's beautifully put together, as I hope we will all see. So let's look at these four first. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, the mercy that they receive is Jesus, as I've just mentioned. But why is it that the merciful uh, are those who shall receive mercy? Well, it's a bit like a siphon. If you ever siphon water, I did this one time. uh, There was a swimming pool that I was trying to drain, and I got very frustrated because I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to siphon out the water. Uh, I've been told that if you got the tube right and you... Suck the water in and then it would come out. Nothing happened until I asked a friend of mine. He said, you realize, Josh, the end has to be lower than the beginning. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Water does not naturally go uphill. You can pump it out. It doesn't naturally go uphill. Similarly, if we are giving mercy, it's because we're being filled, have been filled with the mercy of Jesus. And as we give out, there's a natural kind of suction action. We need more. And we're constantly refilled. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They have received mercy, otherwise they wouldn't be able to act in mercy. You have to be full of mercy to be merciful, you see. 
And as we act in mercy, we're constantly receiving mercy. And you would have experienced that as you reach out in mercy to those who have needs. It's a sense of blessing that comes with that. We have the resources to be kind. And it is a complementary blessing for the poor in spirit, you see, that first beatitude. For if we're poor in spirit, we know that we, we need mercy from God. And so we look out at others and we recognize in them, there but by the grace of God go I. And so we act in mercy. We're not any better than them. We're all sinners. We're poor in spirit. Now filled with Jesus, so now we're able to be merciful. It's such an important point, isn't it? For us Christians, us conservative Christians, who of course are very strong in morality, on matters like abortion, and we must be very strong about that and trumpet the truth loud and clear, especially on a day like this. But we must also be merciful to those who have done things that they know are wrong and need to be restored. Why? Because we've all done things that we know are wrong, (laughs) and we all need to be restored. Every single person here, because we're poor in spirit, we recognize that, and therefore we act in mercy. We're compassionate, and we do this because we're filled with Jesus. That's a beautiful blessing, isn't it? Perhaps you're saying to yourself, I I don't sure I want that blessing. I'd rather not have to act in mercy to the needy around me. I'd rather just uh, build my big uh, tower, my big castle, pull up the drawbridge, not really deal with anyone else's problems. That sounds like a bigger blessing to me. But that's not the path of Jesus. Jesus gave himself to others. And actually, to give ourselves to others is blessing. If we just shut ourselves up in our own little castle, we will not be happy eternally, really. It's not the path of happiness, it's the path of loneliness. And so we need to be humbled this morning, to be poor in spirit. And then as we siphon out the blessing of Jesus, we act in mercy to those around us, and we're constantly refilled. It's a wonderful blessing. Well, here's the second complementary characteristic of those on the path of Jesus, and uh, you'll see it in your Bibles. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this, of course, is a particularly difficult one, because I suppose none of us are really pure in heart. None of us are uh, perfect in our motivations or our desires, the thinking, feeling, willing unit of the heart. And so it's very easy, isn't it, for us to just shut off at this moment and not listen because it just seems impossible. Or if we do listen, we begin to fake it. We put on Sunday face for Sunday grace and Monday scowl for Monday's row. (laughs) But now, this is why it's important to see how they are complementary to each other. So what is the complementary uh, beatitude for the way in being the same as the way on? It is blessed are those who mourn. So the pure in heart are those who mourn over their sinfulness. You see, we're saying we're not perfect. We really desire to be perfect. We want Jesus. We mourn. We have that single focus on Jesus. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Purity is a washing word. 
We desire him. And so we're pure in heart. And therefore we see God. We begin to see more and more of Jesus, like Isaiah in the Old Testament, who saw God and then was immediately realized that he was sinful. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. It's a complimentary blessing to those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God, just like Isaiah did. And we don't perfectly see God, of course, in this world. We see him uh, through his word and then uh, face to face one day. Though even then, there'll be an infinity and eternity to explore the extreme beauty of God. But it is God who is the point. That is our focus. Uh, That's very important, isn't it? Because so many people come to church for many other things. Uh, They come to church because uh, of the social life, uh, the entertainment, the respectability, the friendships, and uh, other things too, the comfortable pews, perhaps. (laughs) Or maybe not. And uh, all those subsidiary benefits are good. It's good to have friendships. I hope you're finding them at College Church. I hope you have them. I hope you're maintaining them. It's good to have a social life. It's good to be respectable. (laughs) Those are all subsidiary benefits, but they're not the point. In fact, they all come out of us realizing who is the point, Jesus. Sometimes it uh, feels a bit like, have you ever been to a baseball game? I, I have. It's a bit like cricket, not quite so good. <laughs> uh, I actually enjoy going to baseball games. I, I, I cannot watch baseball on TV. Cannot do it. It's like watching paint dry. Just... But when you go, uh, and I know many of you, in fact, everyone apart from me loves watching on TV here. So, um, But when you go, I love going because there's so many other things going on, you see. You go with friends, you get to talk to them, and you occasionally watch what's happening. It can be exciting every half an hour or so. And, <laughs> but in the meantime, there's food, there's a hot dog. You can decide whether to put relish or mustard, or if you really want to be rebellious in Chicago, ketchup. And uh, then you can have you know, popcorn and a great big supersized Coke. And you look around, sometimes you see people, and they've got this sort of tray of stuff in front of them, and you're wondering if they can actually see what's really going on. You know, oh, there's a baseball game here. It can be a bit like that at church, can't it? So many good things. But it's about Jesus. He is the blessing. He himself. And being pure in heart, mourning our sinfulness, we want Jesus. We know we need Jesus. We focus upon him and then we see him. It's a blessing that we will see him when we come to church uh, with that kind of blessing. And with that kind of focus, the blessing will follow. Well, what a wonderful blessing that Jesus has offered. So many people go to these religious uh, ceremonies, these religious um, festivals, and they're always seeking, and they will never see God. They seek, and they seek, they wash, and they wash. But here Jesus says, you seek me, you will find. So perhaps you've been looking in all sorts of other places for God, 
You've been looking in uh, various techniques or philosophies or internal reflections. You've gone to people trying to sort out your problems and to solve your difficulties. Jesus says, here's the blessing, it's me. And what's more, if you really seek me, pure in heart, mourn over your sin, want Jesus, if you really seek me, you will find me. You will see me. You will experience me. You will know me. And not perfectly, this side of heaven, we're still in the now and not yet. There is a further glory to come. And yet we will see him now. We will know him We will have His Spirit at work in our hearts. What a beautiful blessing. Complementary to the way in. And so, now the way on. Well, third blessing. Can you see it in your Bibles? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Being a peacemaker is not an easy thing to do. I'm afraid, like many people in my generation, whenever I read this beatitude, I think again of Monty Python. Uh, Monty Python, the person, mishears uh, what Jesus is saying and says, uh, he thinks, he says, blessed are the cheesemakers. And uh, then they have a little discussion about what on earth that could mean. And then the person says, well, it's not to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturer of dairy products. That's very funny. Um, I think behind why that's very funny And probably why they picked it out is because the idea of being a peacemaker, it's so difficult. And we misunderstand it. We think Jesus is saying appeasement. But he doesn't say appeasement. He says peacemake. And they're very different. Appeasement is being at ease while evil continues and not doing anything about it, not confronting it. Well, Jesus was no appeaser. He confronted evil. He spoke against evil. He threw the money changers out of the temple. He died because of evil and rose again and defeated evil. He was a peacemaker. He was not an appeaser, you see. So peacemaking means making peace by defeating evil in ourselves uh, as uh, humans, (laughs) sinful humans, and in others. Now, it's a complementary blessing, as I think all of these are, and it connects with meek. So a meek person equals a peacemaker when they begin to follow Jesus in the kingdom of heaven because a meek person has received peace from God. It's a little like that siphon image again. They've received peace from God, and therefore they're able to make peace. And people who are not meek often create households and situations that are always in conflict. But a meek person has peace with God and therefore, though of course not perfectly, with themselves and therefore they're able to make peace with others. Now it certainly isn't easy. It requires in fact great skill. And so let me just give you a few thoughts that have occurred to me as I thought about it and not because I always do it perfectly. How do you actually go about making peace with someone who is in conflict with you. Here are some thoughts that I find helpful, and they're a little checklist that I go down in my own mind. First, it starts with the attitude of being meek. So it's complementary. They go together. In other words, when someone is in conflict with us, 
we recognize that the other person is a person. And that takes some work internally, doesn't it? We don't just get angry. We're meek. We have the strength to control, to be disciplined, to be trained by the work of the Spirit. We recognize the other person may be in conflict with us because they have their own difficulties. So we're not quick to judge them. We may have pity on them. Now, perhaps, on the other hand, the attitude is actually the reason why that person is in conflict with us is because we are in the wrong. And again, it takes some time to realize that, but sometimes you have to take the time. And peacemaking can be realizing that you need to say sorry, not make the other person say sorry. So it begins with an attitude of meek, and that does take time and the work of the Spirit in order for us uh, to achieve the right attitude of meekness in order to be a peacemaker, complementary blessings. But then uh, the next thing is, I think, the discipline of silence. Uh, James, of course, tells us that uh, we shouldn't uh, be quick to speak. This seems especially true when it comes to making peace. We need to listen, listen to the words, listen to what is not being spoken. Sometimes people say things which can be very hurtful, but it's because they're not mature enough or uh, godly enough to say what they really mean. Or it's too painful when you understand their situation, you put yourself there, you wouldn't be able to say what you really meant either. So you listen to the words, but you listen to what's behind them. You ask yourself, why are they saying that? And so we listen, and that's a proactive thing. It's not passive. It's proactive. You have to be asking questions. Why is he or she saying this? Why have they done this? What's behind that? Am I at fault? What's what's in them? What has caused that? You, You have to have some understanding to be a peacemaker, and that takes listening. But then, of course, there is a moment to speak. And uh, this is very difficult to find the right words. But I think the critical thing here uh, to mention is uh, not so much the right words, though that is extremely important, but the right format. And especially in our technological age, that is so important. In other words, don't try to make peace by, by shooting off you know, a text message. Right? Or, uh, or posting on Facebook, you know? Now, I feel silly saying that, but I, I think it happens. Yeah? So the format matters. The meat person will find the strength because they have Jesus. They'll find the strength to actually be face-to-face, person-to-person, look in the eyes, Now, immediately that changes what you say, and it should, because it's a person. But then after you do all that, the final step is to bless. So peacemaking seems to come when you bless the other person. You find a way to do something that will be good for that other person. Now, of course, that may have the result, as Paul says, of pouring burning coals on their heads. But you don't do it so that they get burning coals on their heads. You do it because you want to bless them. And it may cause them to repent. 
It may just be good for your own soul because you're enacting the forgiveness that you have experienced towards the other person. That's a great blessing to increasingly live at peace with other people, especially in a community, a large community like a church, in your family, in your workplace. I'm not saying it's easy. There are some people who will refuse to live at peace with you. And then you just have to do your part and let them stand themselves before their maker. But blessed are the peacemakers, those who seek to do it. They'll be called sons of God. Why sons of God? Because the meek will inherit the earth. And sons in in, uh, ancient times are those who inherited. It's not a male description, male, female. It's an inheritance. This is the characteristic of those who will inherit the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. Peacemakers. For Jesus was like that. He went to the cross to make peace and rose again. While the fourth and final blessing is even more remarkable and most surprising. Uh, I sent out a little tweet last night just saying this is, in some ways, for us today, the most important uh, blessing that Jesus offers. And I really think that's true, and I want in the last few minutes to try and explain that. Let me read it for us. It begins in verse 10. And it's partly, you can see, most important because Jesus gives it the most time. So I think it's most important in some ways in every age. But we've forgotten it in the West, but we may need soon to remember it. So let's look at it. Blessed, Jesus begins, verse 10, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, some people think this is actually two Beatitudes rather than one. It doesn't much matter whether you think it's two or one. I think it's one because it's the same theme, even though Jesus uses the word blessed twice. The theme is persecuted. I also think it's the same Beatitude because for righteousness' sake is uh, the equivalent to on my account. So to be persecuted for righteousness' sake doesn't just mean being persecuted for anything moral. It means being persecuted for Jesus, you see. For righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake. And they're very similar phrases in the original. For righteousness' sake, on my account. Same blessing, persecution for Jesus, for righteousness' sake, for his righteousness his gospel, his teaching, his person. Now, what is this saying? It's very important we understand this correctly. It is not saying that if you have never been persecuted, therefore you're not a Christian. Jesus doesn't say you must be persecuted. He doesn't tell us to seek persecution. He tells us even if we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for his sake, we're blessed. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is that a real Christian is potentially persecutable in this world. Now, why is this a blessing? Well, Jesus tells us, because uh, great is your reward in heaven. In other words, when we're persecuted like this, we know that we're going uh, to be with Jesus forever. We are citizens of the new, uh, the kingdom of heaven 
And uh, we, our destiny now, we're sure, is on that trajectory. It starts now as Christians and continues forever. It's going to be a great reward. It is a clear communication that we're really for him. When everything opposes us, all kinds of evil, and we're still for Jesus, it's a message to us, to us individually and us as a church, that we're really for Jesus. And so it takes away our doubts and our confusions and uh, tells us that we are, we are his, we are Jesus's. Now one, that final clarification before we apply it, it is also critically important that we do not misunderstand Jesus' blessing. Sometimes Christians are persecuted not for being Christians, but for being a pain in the neck. And that is not the same. We must be clear about this. Uh, sometimes uh, we are persecuted or punished for not being Christians, even if we are a Christian, but just because we do something wrong. So first Peter, uh, Peter says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Uh, sometimes people are punished when they're caught in a crime or cheating or taking performance-enhancing drugs. That's not persecution. It's a, it's a punishment. Uh, whether accurate or not, it's not for me to judge, but it's not a persecution. It's punishment. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you fail at your tests and uh, the teacher tells you that, uh, I'm sorry, you failed, and the teacher's not a Christian, you are a Christian, you're not being persecuted, you're being um, punished. You didn't do well. Uh, so we must be clear, this is not for uh, anything that happens to a Christian. It is for when a Christian is being opposed for Jesus' sake. And so Peter carries on in his first letter, this is now chapter 3, but if you should suffer for what is right, I'm, sh I'm sure quoting here from Jesus, righteousness, you are blessed. So it's not being persecuted just for a good cause. Cause may be good, and maybe you, sh you should be persecuted for that. It's for Jesus. And in fact, oftentimes, people who uh, uh, pursue good causes and are philanthropists, very generous towards good things, they're not persecuted, they're praised. Because when we look at someone like that, we see in them us at our best. And when we praise them, we're really praising ourselves. Well, look at that person. I want to be more like that. You see, a Christian is not just us at our best. A Christian is something completely different. A Christian is someone born again by the Spirit who has Jesus. And so a Christian is always potentially persecutable because a, position, a Christian by their very existence is saying, all of us are sinners. None of us deserve God's righteousness. We all deserve eternal damnation apart from Jesus. That's the message that if you're a Christian, you carry with you wherever you go. And when people understand that, if they're not for that, they can end up opposing that. Now, it's happened many times in church history in the West. Uh, there's a famous occasion of uh, the two martyrs, Ridley and Latimer, who were burnt at the stake in Oxford. 
And Ridley uh, suffered terribly because those who were trying to burn him at the stake didn't do a good job. If you can imagine such a thing. And Latimer said to Ridley, be of good comfort and play the man, Master Ridley. For we this day shall light such a candle as I pray by God's grace shall never be put out. That was a promise that has been fulfilled in the Reformation work of those Christians. Now, persecution has happened all around the world today. You can read about it in your newspapers. And those of us with influence need to stand up and call it for what it is and advocate for religious freedom. But I say it's most important even for us today because I wonder whether at some point in the near future, even in America, we may have to face things like this. I read about in the news businesses, Christian businesses being opposed for taking righteous stances. Now, I don't know all the details, and I certainly don't know all the people involved. But uh, when I read in the newspapers about, for instance, Christians in England being taken to court because uh, they're wearing a cross on the outside of their, uh, their dress or their suit or something. Now, maybe there are other instances. Maybe the people involved were real pains in the neck. I don't know. But it strikes me that what's going on And as I looked back through my notes when I preached on this 10 years ago, I hinted at this, and I wonder whether it's coming more true now. Strikes me what's going on is there's been a growing new philosophy in the West, which is inevitably inimical to biblical Christianity. And we just need to pray that the result of that will be the triumph of Jesus. And that can happen. It's not inevitably that we will get to this uh, persecution situation, but it is possible. And if it happens, rejoice. Jesus says it twice, in a sense. Rejoice and be glad. It's not, not, a case, uh, not an opportunity for us to be sad if we are persecuted really and truly for being Christian, is an opportunity for us to rejoice. At that moment, we should be singing in prison. When we're taken to the courts, we'll be saying, yes, inside. Not, Not that we're seeking it, no. But if it happens, when we've done everything we possibly can to be peacemakers, because at that moment, what Jesus says, no servant is above his master. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Well, no, He is my master. I am his. And I know for sure I will be eternally happy. That's a difficult blessing, but I suspect it is the most important. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for these wonderful uh, words of Jesus. We thank you that uh, we don't seek you in vain. No, we seek you and live. And when we seek Jesus, we see him. And so I pray now by your spirit that you would open the eyes of our hearts to uh, know the, the treasures and the riches of glory that we have in Jesus. By your Spirit, if there is someone here who is being opposed for Jesus, you would show them that their reward in heaven is great. 
by your spirit to those of us who need to be proactive in making peace would have the meekness, the skill as well to do that uh, in your power and to the best of our ability. Uh, those of us who struggle with uh, purity of heart, that we would mourn our sin and be encouraged that uh, therefore we're, we're moving on with Jesus and that we are focusing upon him and that we will see him. So we thank you, Jesus, for these, your words. Most of all, we thank you for you. And we love you and we worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.